The Girl Camper Podcast is sponsored by Liberty Outdoors, innovative makers of high-quality, lightweight, towable trailers for every stage of the RVer's life. And Campco Manufacturing. For over 50 years, this company has been making products for outdoor enthusiasts. Whether you are RVing, boating, camping, towing, tailgating, or grilling, Camco Manufacturers has products to help you enjoy your time off. We are also sponsored by our consortium of girl camper-friendly RV dealerships. Bankston Motorhomes with five locations in Alabama and Tennessee, Setzer's World of Camping in Huntington, West Virginia, and Tom's Camperland with three locations in Phoenix, Arizona. Service, integrity, and committed staffers are some of the hallmarks of these reputable dealerships. To visit any of our sponsors, go to girlcamper.com and follow the links on our homepage. Hello, my name is Janine Pettit and I'm a girl camper. I go places and I do things in my Liberty Outdoors lightweight towable trailers. Along the way, I meet many interesting people traveling the back roads, and I want to share their stories with you. We will talk about the qualities of what makes a girl camper and how you can be a girl camper too. The girl campers are having a party, and you're invited. Stay tuned while I share what's happening on the back roads of America the Beautiful. Welcome, I'm Janine Pettit, Girl Camping Ambassador, Blogger, Adventurist, and Podcaster. And this is episode 137 of Girl Camper, the podcast. My guest today is Laura Farenthold, author of the Pink Steering Wheel Chronicles. Laura and her husband, Mark Pittman, were living their dream life in New York, raising their daughters and managing high-profile writing careers when the unthinkable happened. Mark passed away suddenly from a heart attack. Laura was 46 years old and her two daughters were 8 and 10. There's no choice but to move on, putting one foot in front of the other in a slow motion effort to keep moving, and that's just what Laura did. But before the end of that first year without Mark was up, Laura seized on the idea that camping and then RVing would be a good way to change the loop playing in her daughter's heads from trauma to adventure. It's all in her book and she's here today with a happy and hopeful message about RVing, moving forward, and what makes her go. Stay tuned. Well, in our news roundup today, I want to tell you that Tearstock 2018 is a wrap. I just got back from the fifth annual gathering of teardrop owners in Mackinac City, Michigan. That was the spot. 275 attendees, 150 various trailers, teardrops of all sizes, homemade woodies, the vestibule trailer, which we're going to be talking about in a few weeks, tabs, tags, minis, maxes, retro juniors, and a few vintage style trailers too. A great refurbished Shasta there named Route 66. And of course, we had a scampering of scamps and casitas. The lightweight towable world was well represented and a grand time was had by all at the Mill Creek Campground along the beautiful, beautiful shores of Lake Huron. It was absolutely perfect weather. We had one little thunderstorm at about four in the morning, but every other day was picture perfect. I actually took the Mini Max up there because she's all gussied up and just ready for solo travel. I was going by myself, so I wanted to have her on hand. Plus, General RV, our sponsor, they were kind enough to send a videographer up there. His name was Brandon Bailey, and Brandon and I got to shoot some how-to and some safety videos. They're going to be coming out for the girl campers, and I just thought the Mini would make such a great backdrop. 
I have put over 8,000 miles on that mini since she arrived at my house at the beginning of April and we are bonded. <laughs> We're simpatico. So I felt right at home with her, which was good because the minute I got up there, I thought that my bronchitis was a little stubborn. Maybe I should go to urgent care. Maybe I needed a bigger inhaler. I got up to urgent care and the doctor there said to me, this is not bronchitis, this is pneumonia. You have to go back, get in bed, do all these medicines. So I ended up being in bed for two days, just taking all my medicines and having very kind people bring me food, <laughs> which was lovely. But I felt so at home. You know, like, can you imagine when you're sick in a hotel room? Have you ever been sick on a business trip? I was once vomiting all day at a hotel room, and it was awful. To be sick, but to have my little trailer and my blankies and my pots and pans and all my little things, I felt so cozy there. And I'll tell you, I responded to the medicine very quickly, so I was, you know, pretty well by the end of the week. I, I had to take it easy, I will admit, but... It was so much fun still to be at that rally. These rallies are just a great way not only to bring like-minded people together, because obviously we all have that interest in RVs and the lifestyle and everything, but really from Liberty Outdoors' point of view, this is live in-person input for those folks. So the owners, Joe Kiko and Godfrey Mendez were there, and they had their families with them. So that was fun, too, because it's a work event, but it's not because the kids are there. They're riding bikes. Everybody's getting ice cream. They're running all over. It was just good to see people out of their work environment and enjoying themselves. But they're there with all of these people who own their products, and they're listening, and they're learning, and they're finding out what users want, what modifications they made to their trailers, what works well and what doesn't. There was this walkabout on Saturday night where everybody's trailers are all dolled up, and we were all, like 150 of us, in this section of a campground that had over 600 sites in it. So you think, where do you put 150 people in a rally in the middle of the summer? It's not easy finding a campground that can do that. But we had this walkabout tour on Saturday night, and everybody got a chance to show off their trailers. And that's so much fun because there's so much inspiration and information being passed there. How you solved a little problem, like how are you storing your towels in the bathroom? Everybody has a different system. And then you'll walk around and you go, oh, wow, I never thought of that. I actually like that better. I'm going to switch mine out. So that was just so much fun, getting to chat with everybody and get their feedback. It was also, I got to tell you, really fun for me to meet that online community in person. And I had so much fun chatting with podcast listeners. All these people kept coming up to me and telling me what their favorite episode was or what they learned from an episode or a mistake they were about to make and then they heard it on the podcast. And I got to tell you, that felt great to me because as the podcaster, as the person generating the information going out in the podcast, I'm here. I'm in my office at home. And occasionally, I podcast from the road, but usually it's done in my office here. And it's me. And I'm sitting in my spare bedroom here, which is now my office. And I'm writing and I'm researching and I'm editing and I'm recording and I'm putting it out. And Stephanie's putting it all together and making it sound so nice. And then it goes out. Poof. It goes out into cyberspace, and a day or two goes by, and then a letter or two, and then a comment, and then maybe each episode will generate six or eight comments or questions, but to actually get to meet people and hear, you know what, that episode meant so much to me because blah, blah, blah. People don't normally take the time to write something. I think people like that, people who RV are too busy out there. They're going places and doing things to take time to write a letter. So it was great to hear from so many people about how episodes, and it was all across the board. So that makes me feel good too, to know that we're touching everybody's needs in some kind of way. And thank you, everyone who came up to me and asked me how Aunt Sue is. <laughs> Aunt Sue is such a fan favorite. My Aunt Sue is awesome. She is getting ready to go to Africa. <laughs> She's amazing, isn't she? If you've never listened to our Aunt Sue episodes, 
go back in and search Aunt Sue. Um, she she's just amazing. So yeah, she's back from wherever she was. She was in Sri Lanka, I think, and now she's getting ready in the fall to go to Africa. She's going to be gone about six weeks there. So she's. She's alive and well and kicking, you know. So anyway, I just loved camping with everyone. And it really, really did feel like a family reunion. And I got to do a special shout out to Chris Baum, who never gets tired of talking shop and was just a fantastic MC and co-host as always. And props to Jessica Lovett from the Teardrop Shop for making it happen. Planning rallies is just no picnic. It's so detail-oriented. I mean, I did one once, and I don't think I'm ever going to do it again. It was just exhausting. But Jessica knocked it out of the park. I highly recommend this campground, the Mill Creek Campground in Mackinac City, um, Michigan. It was absolutely huge. I said somebody told me it was 600 sites, but that does not even include the incredible amount of cabins they have to rent. And then I loved the way the campground was laid out. The tents were all mingled in. The sites were really nice, big sites. You didn't feel like people were right on top of you. Each site was landscaped, so there was privacy between you and your neighbor. But this campground has close to a mile of shoreline right on Lake Huron, and I love the way the original architects of this campground laid it out. That became public land. So they used this big, beautiful strip of land along the water, and about every 100 feet, they put a fire pit. And then there's a road, and then there's all the campsites. So anybody can bring their chairs, choose a fire pit. I, I don't know how many there were. There were so many. Every night there were people down there with fires, and there were still available spots at the height of the season. There was benches to sit on, and there was great to come out every night and just sit there and watch the sunset. It was a lovely, lovely campground. So Thank you, Mill Creek. You did it. You knocked it out. I love that campground. Next year's tear stock is already in the making. Now, the rumor is, and I like this, what Liberty is doing now, they're moving it around the country. In 2017, we did the Outer Banks in the fall. Now, nine months later, here we are, and we did Mackinac, Upper Michigan, in July, which was a lovely time of year to be there. So they're choosing these different locations for a couple reasons, to get us out of our comfort zone, make us go places. We had people who came from California and uh, Portland, Oregon, and Florida, Maine. I mean, we just had people from all over the country come to this event. So it kind of gets you out of your comfort zone, makes you go places you haven't been yet. But it also gives the opportunity for those teardroppers who are not retired yet and don't have the freedom to travel to go to events that are maybe three or four or six hours from home, and they can give it a long weekend. So it's moving again, and word on the street is that it's going to be in the Phoenix area in March of 2019, and as soon as I know, I will tell you, because Phoenix in March sounds lovely. Not today. It's 115 in Phoenix today, but anyway, so much fun at Tearstack. I want to thank all the lovely people who came up and said such nice things to me and helped me when I was sick, and we're was just great cheerleaders for the podcast and for everything you know we try to do to make the RV industry accessible to people and give them information that helps them be out there on the road and make good choices and be safe so thank you for all of your positive feedback I just loved meeting all of you and I'm going to be back in a minute with my interview with Laura but first a word from Campco Campco they make things (laughs) I do things they make things They make so many things. And Campco sent me this big, giant box of things they make at their own factory. I just love that. And they have all these new products. Life is great at the campsite. And one of the things they sent me in their big box is a new line of products called Curatuck. C-U-R-R-I-T-U-C-K. These are fantastic food storage containers. So what I loved about them, and I've been using them now, I took them to Texas with me. So in the 8,000 miles of traveling I've done, I've had them with me in Texas. I've had them with me in Colorado. I just got back from Michigan with them. And I got to tell you, I'm loving these things. So there is a 12-ounce and an 18-ounce Kiratuk food storage container. What I love, 
it's got this big wide mouth. So it's their stainless steel double wall construction. It's that 18 by 18 food grade stainless steel. The reason they give you that number all the time, I finally found this out, it's 18 by 18, you know, 18.8 or 18 slash 8 stainless steel. What that means is it doesn't taste like metal, okay? So it's one of the things that's going to hold the cold better and the heat better, but it also is not going to give off a metal taste. So BPA-free lid with a big ceiling gasket on these food storage containers. It's not the pop-on lid. It's the twist. you got to unscrew it like a jar. A, that keeps it tighter, but the second thing it does is if you throw this thing in your backpack, you put your oatmeal, leftover oatmeal in this when you're done with breakfast and throw it in the back of your backpack, it screws on. It's not going to pop open and spill inside your backpack. So I really love the screw-on lid. The other thing I have loved about using these things, the wide mouth makes it super easy to eat out of, and it makes it easy to clean. I mean, you could literally get your hand in a sponge in there. I mean, that's a practical thing to know. The other thing that I really like about these is how they store. So normally I store leftover food in Rubbermaid containers or stackable bowls with uh, snap-on lids. I have been using these to put my leftovers in. So if I had rice for dinner or I had potatoes or anything like that, I put them in this container and it stores so much better in the refrigerator. So I can put this on the door of the refrigerator upright in the back. Shelf-wise, it takes up a lot less space than a bowl or a Rubbermaid container. So these have just been a big win-win for me. The other thing that's really cool about these is a lot of times when we're camping with the girls or we're camping with the crowd, people will say, hey, you know, come over to my site. We're having, um, you know, BYOB, bring your plate, but we're all going to eat here. If I had um, leftover rice, this is a thing of mine, the rice, the rice. I can't eat the whole bag. I do that microwavable 90-second Uncle Ben rice, and I eat about half of it. Then I'll put the other half in my little Kiratuk. Then what I do is I'll throw leftover chicken or something in there, stir that whole thing up, and I take it to the campsite, and it's my dish. I don't have to bring a plate with me. I just bring that in a bowl. I open it up because it's a wide mouth. I eat right out of it, screw the lid on, throw it in my backpack, and take it back to my campsite. So I have really, really enjoyed these things. They come in two sizes, 12 ounce and 18 ounce, $17.99 and $21.99. They come in five cool colors, raspberry, the seafoam, orange, stainless steel, and the charcoal. I have the orange one. I have orange and I have charcoal as well. Anyway, big hit. Check them out. They're on Amazon. They should be available on the Teardrop Shop too. Okay, I'm going to be back in a minute and we're going to be talking with Laura Farenthold. Welcome back, everyone. I am here with Laura Farenthold, author of the number one rated book, The Pink Steering Wheel Chronicles. <laughs> this is the story of Laura's RV adventures with her two young daughters after the sudden loss of her husband, Mark. Um, I could not put this book down. This is not a sad book about widowhood. This is a book about loss perseverance, um, hope, and joy, and it is my great pleasure to have you here today. So, Laura, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I, I'm, I'm very excited that you're here because I read your book this summer. I now, now I've been, I knew the book was coming out mm -hmm. and I saw your, you know, pre-publishing um, promos about it mm -hmm. and it was on pre-order on Amazon, but you were nice enough to send me a galley copy. So I got to read it over the summer and I'll tell you, I, I, I hesitated. I'm going to be honest. I hesitated to read your book because I thought I... I'm on vacation. I don't want to be sad. <laughs> I don't want to read sad stories. And after the initial chapter where you talk about your husband's loss, actually the day he passed away, which was gripping, um, after that I put the book down for two days because I had to process it. I, I got to tell you, I had to process that. 
And when I picked it up and continued reading, it, it wasn't a book about loss. It was a book about hope. And I want to commend you for writing this in a way that acknowledges the loss, but also says, you know what? It's plan B. It's not what I wanted, but this is what really happened for to me. It's my tr- true story, sad story, but I'm not going to be defined by it. This is not going to be that line in the sand where everything was before and after, and I, you know, I'm not going to let Mark's loss keep me from living life. And you're, I think you're phenomenal. <laughs> Thank you. So you know what? The first thing I want to do is I, I want our listeners to know about Mark. So tell us who your husband was. Well, um, Mark Pittman, the thing about him really was that he was a man's man. You know, he was that guy who, when he shook your hand, he meant it. Mm-hmm. When he said something, it was the truth. When he made a promise, he kept it. Oh, yeah. He was he was a Boy Scout yeah. type of guy. He sounded like like just this homegrown sunshine and corn <laughs> dog. He was. <laughs> he's Kansas bred. You know, yeah. he's, he's a Kansas boy. He roped yeah. cattle yeah. growing up, and his dad worked at Piggly Wiggly. His mom was a school crossing guard. Oh, hometown America. Yeah. And then, you know, with that kind of childhood, it doesn't surprise me then that Mark grew up, he wanted to be a journalist, and he came to New York City, and he worked at Bloomberg, and he reported on the uh, finance world, and he Mm -hmm. was in the midst of uncovering, and he had predicted, but was also uncovering, the... um, scandal and crisis that happened in this country. And Mark was really instrumental in bringing that to the surface Mm -hmm. and was in the midst of that. And he won all kinds of journalistic awards for that work, didn't he? He did. Well, you know, he, going back for a minute, when he was in third grade, his teacher told his parents that she said, if that young boy doesn't go to college, that'll be a sin or a criminal or whatever she said. And he worked his way up. He started a small newspaper, you know, went to another newspaper. He was a police reporter, and he ended up at Bloomberg in finance, which was not his thing at all. But I remember him telling me, you know, looking up at these ivory towers, mm-hmm. you know, and being in Manhattan. For know, a farm boy, that for, must have. Yeah, you know, suburban kind of farm boy. It was a really big deal. And... I think that it gave him that edge mm-hmm. to really look into things more, not to just take it for how it was spoon-fed. So when the banks were lending... Yeah, I'm from Missouri. Show me. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Midwest boy comes, okay, city slicker. Yeah, you That's what it, you're right? saying. What's the real story here? Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. So... So Mark really took his job seriously. And in my impression reading the book was there was a subcontext about Mark, and that is that he had a real deep respect for a working man's money. He did because he earned his money. So did his daddy and, you know, yeah. working class family. And here somebody's trying to spoon feed you something that is not true. And he kind of took offense to it. But not in an obnoxious way, but just in his very cool, calm, and collected way, he took down the government, basically by suing the Federal Reserve to open their bailout books during the financial crisis because they wouldn't be transparent about their $3 trillion Mm -hmm. in transactions. So Yeah. So he was like, you know, gumshoe reporter here. He he just wouldn't take no for an answer. In a very quiet, in a very gentle way. Yes. So Mark, uh, I'll, spoiler, I mean, <laughs> spoiler here. Mark had a congenital heart defect, and he always knew that he was kind of a ticking time bomb. Um, he had had a heart attack when he was 41, And our second daughter was about three months old. And then from there, he had nine stents. Mm -hmm. And so he he valued every day. He totally valued every day. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know what I loved in the book? I loved reading about what kind of dad Mark was. Tell the story of the gerbil funeral. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when my daughter Nell's gerbil Janice died. Janice. (laughs) I love that. I know. Janice. (laughs) Janice died. And, you know, Daddy went out in the backyard with the shovel. and But he took it so seriously. He was reading from the Bible, and I kept elbowing him, like, shut, you know. Yeah, it's a gerbil. It's a gerbil, honey. <laughs> and then he died four days later. Wow. So, you, you know, I, I had goosebumps when I read that. I, I really did, because he was, it was a little foreshadowing. But, yeah. but he was also modeling, like unbeknownst to your daughter like mark standing there with the gerbil reading out of the bible he was subconsciously telling your daughter who to trust well he was he was talking about you know doing the right thing in life and he just went Mm -hmm. off for about 10 15 minutes yeah so it's weird we still talk about janice yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know what so when I, I read the story of Mark's passing away and you were home with him and um, it, it... It was I, sudden. It was it, unexpected. So it, I, I'm just going to say this because, you know, I don't want to... I want people to read the book. But Mark passed away at home. You, you, somebody called you and said, or Mark called you and said, I don't feel good. And you sensed something in his voice and you came running home. And he was vomiting and he, he passed away then within minutes of you returning home and it was it see in the book it was so well written and um and it was graphic there was a lot of blood and you know you were trying to comfort him but you were also scared but you said you made a great analogy and you said mark's passing was a birth talk about that well I'm sure that most people would not want to experience what the girls and I experienced, yeah, which was death. Mm-hmm. But there was something so beautiful about it at the same point. And having his energy or spirit or whatever you want to call it shoot out from his body mm-hmm. and go off into the sky. And it sounds cliche, but I promise you that's exactly what happened. You, you literally saw that. I literally saw it. And it's it would be like missing the birth of a child. Yeah. You know, of a of a brand new yeah. baby. So his his baby went off somewhere. I don't know where. Yeah. Um so I'm so glad that I was there. Yeah. Even though it was completely traumatic and it just annihilated me in every way. You know what you said that brought me comfort, the reader, after what? I read that? You said, like, because I was thinking, like, to myself, you you can't help, any woman, anybody can't help but personalize that story. Like, yeah. oh, my gosh, it was so traumatic. And I, and I, in my mind, I was thinking, I think I'd rather come home and just hear that this happened while I was gone. And you said, oh, no, the reporter in you would have needed to know every single detail. Well, what was he doing right before that happened? And then what happened? And then what happened? So for you, it was comforting, even though that whole thing was so trauma-ridden. It it was comforting in the end because you you felt and saw Mark's spirit leave him. You felt comfortable that it all... Un- I was able to usher him. I was able to hold his hand, tell him I loved him, try to give him right. CPR the whole bit. Um and I'll tell you that he wouldn't have died without me because he knew that I would have killed him. Because <laughs> I never, I wouldn't yeah. have had the strength to do what I did. Yeah. I would have questioned everything. You know, this is beyond so Beyond even like, how much I already questioned it. When I first made the commitment to read your book, because when I read books about widows, it, it kind of spazzes me out. And I'm like, I, sure. I don't, it's not a topic I enjoy. And so, <laughs> Ginny McKinney, who has been on the show, and she's a widow who does so much for women, too. And and Ginny just like, okay, that stunk. And now this is my life, and I've got to move forward. And she just decided to move forward with joy. She made a choice. When I was reading your book, and after the traumatic first chapter, the book became about hope. Like and and you had a real sense of humor about it. I remember when I flipped to the chapter of I'm dreaming of a Mark Christmas. <laughs> and the the way you approached everything and you had to because you, you had these little girls yeah. you know, to 
to make a happy life for you know so but the way you approached everything made the book so readable it made the book not about a sad story of of, of what anyone you can't say it's a premature death because that that's the number of days god gave mark so it's premature to us exactly but in the worldly sense i remember when my a husband's cousin passed away at 42 and her kids were very young. Everybody was saying, oh, they got robbed. They got robbed. And the, and the ther- uh, therapist, the pastor, gave a beautiful sermon and said, everybody keeps talking about Linda dying prematurely. But she did it. That was exactly the number of days God planned for her. Exactly. And, and her take was, we have to live each day. We have to enjoy every moment. Well, that's exactly what I took away from this. I thought, you know, I've got two choices here. I've got these little girls with these big eyes looking up at me. The phone is ringing. You can't even believe it. Yeah. One person called me at 6 o'clock in the morning and said, I knew I would find you in bed. I've been trying to reach you, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there were almost 900 people at the funeral. Like, this was a big deal. It was deal. in all the papers. Mark was well-known in his circles. Inch, international in the, news. Yeah. 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 So it took me 10 days to even plan the funeral. Because I was just so overwhelmed. Yeah. And I've got these two little girls looking at me with their big blue eyes. And I'm thinking, okay, you can fall apart or you can make the most positive life. Yeah. Well, where them. does that strength come from, though, in that moment? I think it's sink or swim. Yeah. And so maybe it's not an interior strength. And maybe it's just like, I got two choices here. What's the obvious choice? Right. Gonna swim. It's option C. <laughs> <laughs> I chose op- option C. Option C was what? Sink, swim, or? Or go RVing. Okay. Yeah, okay. So, okay. But let's talk about that because I'll tell you something. When I was reading your book... And I got past the first gripping chapter, and I started reading, and all of a sudden you're talking about survival and, and, and the passage of time and how the girls are doing. And so in the middle of what most people would think is utter disaster, you got this idea that you were going to go on a vacation, mm-hmm. take the girls camping in um, the Pacific Northwest, visit a friend, do some tent camping. And while you were on that tent camping trip, you were driving down the road in a rent-a-car and you saw a 1993 Toyota motorhome for sale, and you cracked a U-turn and went and bought that. What, what were you thinking, Laura? I know. Well, you can call me Lucy. <laughs> it was a Lucy moment. It was. I had a Lucy U-turn moment. Yeah. Because, you know, as you said, we'd been tent camping, and it was great, and I grew up camping, and I loved it. But it was tough with the two little girls. You know, sometimes we'd have the directions in the headlights of a car and they can barely read practically. They're like, what's a shock cord, mom? I said, I have no idea. Just hand it to me. Yeah. <laughs> but having to, you know, pack up um, the campground and unpack and then pack again. Because you were saying one night, two nights. Like, yeah. yeah it you wasn't were trying like, to get a lot under your belt. So it wasn't like we were in you're one beautiful camp, camp every day. Yeah, we were bringing camp all the time and it was tough. So when I saw that RV... I was, it was calling to me. I've never driven one. (laughs) And you just bought it. You didn't get it inspected. You didn't have anybody kind of look at it. You just pulled over and bought an RV. I did. Well, I had to call my mom and borrow money from her. (laughs) And then I had to do some fancy footwork at the bank to get a loan. Mm -hmm. But it was only $4,200. Okay. And I figured, what's the worst thing that could happen? So you turned in your rent-a-car. Turned in the rent-a-car, gave away the camping equipment. Okay. And got in, we named him Harvey. Okay, spell Harvey. I love this. You spell it. Capital H, lowercase a. Capital R-V, lowercase <laughs> E-Y. <laughs> Who came up with that? You know, it's kind of like naming a dog. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We just, the girls yeah. and I came up with Harvey. Yeah. And he's. That's so funny. He's our man. We he's love your, Harvey. Harvey's the man in your life, Dad. He's okay. the man in our lives. Yeah. He, so Harvey must have felt like the Ritz-Carlton after tent camping in a rental car with all this wet camping equipment because you said you had a lot of rain. So when you got Harvey, did the girls just think that was the living end? Oh, my gosh. We went straight to Costco. Mm-hmm. And then to Walmart 
and we bought everything. Mm-hmm. We didn't even have the money. We were so excited. That was yeah. like decorating you know, your first new apartment. Yeah. So it's we like got a dorm. It was like your dorm or your first apartment, <laughs> right? So you're like, you get the fuzzy pillows and we got new sheets and, you know, blinds. And we just, it was so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. And so you were supposed to fly home from the Pacific Northwest. We were. But now you have to drive Harvey home and you get to stop at all those places along the way. But, you know, I have to tell you, I've ne- I was a little tiny bit scared to drive it. Okay. How long did that last? Not as long as it should have. <laughs> I still can't believe it. I mean, I had that thing trucking up mountains, and it was on the beach in, uh, where the heck were we? I just forgot the name. Somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. No. uh, Whatever. We were on these sand dunes, and I had hard... In Michigan? No. Okay. No clue. I just... Okay. You're on the beach. We're on the beach, wherever we were, and he was literally like a dune buggy. Mm-hmm. And he was whipping through the sand. I mean, he went everywhere. So I think it sounds to me as if you were kind of like a little naive, and that might have served you well. Like, <laughs> Exactly. Because if I had kept reading, like if I had been preparing or thinking mm-hmm. about it, I would have lost myself in research. Yeah. So to just plug your nose and jump in was the way to go. Well, I think that is... A problem, and I'm glad to have you on the show to talk about that because there are a lot of women who write to me, a lot of widows, a lot of single women, and they kind of get stuck in this paralysis by analysis. They're over researching everything. And I like what you said when you and I were talking. Hey, just rent something. Go to go outdoorsy or you know yeah. cruise America. Just rent something and get out there. Just get your feet wet. Dive in. Especially for people who've had life changes, whatever they are, mm-hmm. if they're feeling that itch that we get, or you know, what does mm-hmm. it all mean, or you know, you just you yeah. need an experience. There's nothing like looking up at a star-filled sky. Oh yeah, I know. There's nothing like building a campfire. There's nothing like going skinny dipping, or yeah. in your bathing suit or whatever. Yeah, in a lake. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, meeting people and, you know, milking goats. We ended up on a farm in, in Cape Breton milking goats. And this yeah. lady, we stayed with them for like two weeks. We went to their family wedding. <laughs> you know, you just... You just... So I want to talk about that because I don't know if this was purposeful on your part or not, or maybe it was the idea that it would go this way, but did you think it would go this well? You sort of thought, I need to get my girls away from the drama. Like, your husband passed away in the house they're living in. Every day they're standing in the room. And you had this idea, like, every day my little girls' minds are re-acquainted with this terrible thing. And you wanted to go camping Mm -hmm. so that you could engage them. You know, like, when you're camping, it's not like you're laying around the pool at a resort. Right. It's just, it's just, you know, when you're camping, you got to kind of survive. you got to get food. you got to cook it. And you have to you wash know. the dishes. And you got to set up a tent. And, oh, you know, yeah. when you get back from the shower, you got to find a branch to hang your towel on. you got to make sure it's not going to fall. It's work. It's work. So you had this idea, like, to really just engage your kids' minds and move their minds to something different. Give them something else to do. And something think about. Something to think about. Yeah. That was brilliant. I I mean, kudos, Mom. You did a great thing there. I got to talk about this, though. So I I thought this was very funny in the book. And I would have had the exact same dilemma. So when Mark passed away, you had him cremated, and you had his ashes in your house. So you're going on this vacation, and you didn't want to leave Mark behind. So what did you do? Well, I mean, what was I going to do? Hire a babysitter for his box of ashes? I mean, it was like having a child again, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, what do I do with him? And, and then you I, were afraid to leave him at home. I was afraid. What if the house burned down? What if something happened? I'm not going to hire a babysitter. I didn't want to yeah. give him to one of my friends. That was just yeah. too weird. <laughs> so I called the airline and asked if I could bring him, and they said that I could. Mm-hmm. So I decided to leave half of him at home, and I brought half of him with us that way. 
we wouldn't lose him. Okay. If something bad happened. Yes. Oh, so so you were covered. Uh, we he, we were all covered. So yeah. when you initially left, was it your plan to sprinkle Mark's ashes, or did that kind of evolve during the course of your trip? That definitely evolved. I never planned on doing that. Um, but one night, one of our first nights... When you were tent camping? When we were tent camping, I was terrified because I had to go to the bathroom. And I'm talking that kind of bathroom. And it was the middle of the night. We had eaten Swedish meatballs at Ikea, and they did not agree with me. Okay. And I was so scared that there would be, like, a man with a flannel shirt on and <laughs> no teeth, like Chucky, ready to chop me into yeah. pieces. Yeah. So I brought Mark's ashes with me. So I, 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 I can't help it. <laughs> I'm getting this mental picture of you in this tent in some state campground. And you've got, uh, you know, your husband's ashes under one arm and a flashlight and your cramping stomach. And you're making your way to an outhouse. It's, it's not pretty, Laura. I know, but I, and it was so scary. <laughs> That's what, that was one of those moments I'm thinking, what am I doing? Yeah. So I tripped, and the ashes went everywhere. Wow. And that was, you know. I shouldn't be laughing. I know, but... no, it was funny. But that's when I realized, and Marcus probably in there like, get me out of here. Get me out of this box. I want to have some fun, too. <laughs> and so I decided at that moment he needed to have fun. Yeah. We were on a family vacation, and he could protect us wherever we went. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of gave us more of a purpose. Yeah. And it made him be okay. a part of everything. So after Mark got spilled at the campground, you, you, you know, <laughs> you then decided to leave a little bit of Mark here and there. Yes, just tiny little sprinkles. Okay. Just like, you know, a couple of grains of pepper. So I got to ask you about that because... It's, to me, this is this is kind of funny. Um, everybody's different. Everybody's so different. When when I read that, I I totally get the ashes thing. Like I always think I'd have my husband's ashes on the pillow next to me, and we could still watch a movie at night. You know, like I totally get it. Um, and my own thing was like I don't think I'd want to leave Rick anywhere. I wouldn't want anybody but me to have him. Like I, I right. think I would have been so covetous. But I wonder for you, what what you got from that was it like I'm letting Mark like travel and have these places that he didn't get to go to? Was it something you did for Mark on some level, or was it for you, or both? I think it was for both. Um, and I just felt that it was very important that he kind of got to go back to America, mm-hmm. you know, because he was so rooted in trying to help people that I felt that he needed to be amongst his people. Well, because he was a man of the people. He was a man of the people. So, yeah. he, you know, he needed to be everywhere. And then anywhere my girls ever went, they could be like, oh, yeah, dad's already here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And throughout Canada, but no, he never, he'd be like, Laura, what, Lucy, he would call me, Lucy, what do you, what have you done? <laughs> you know? So, so when you were on that very first trip and you bought Harvey and you made your way back home, sprinkling your husband's ashes here and there and, and modeling real bravery for your girls and adventure, uh, when you got home and you had RV and you had to kind of return to school and a routine mm. and your job, did you use Harvey on weekends? Did you camp locally? Or did Harvey just stay in the driveway until next summer? Um, we didn't only go during the summers, so mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. we would take him um, to more local and regional places, um, either just to go camping in Harvey mm-hmm. or to do some sprinkles or both. So was it a place? Did you ever use Harvey? Like, if the girls were feeling sad, did you just sit in Harvey in the driveway to remove them from trauma? Or we used to have book clubs in Harvey. Um, you know, I'd have my girlfriends over for dinner, and we cook in Harvey. Or the girls would have their friends over. So he yeah. was just—he's like a family room. <laughs> that is, I love that. I love him. Yeah, <laughs> you love Harvey. I don't I blame do. you. I don't and blame you. We used to sing. A song to him every morning before taking off. It was like our, you know, rally song. Okay, what was the rally song? Oh, I don't. I can't sing it. You'll have. <laughs> you'll have to. Oh, you know what I'm gonna later. have to do. 
I'm going to have to go camping with you, and after we have a glass of wine or two, I'll get you to sing the Harvey song. I will totally sing the Harvey song by the campfire. Yeah. I know, well, I Along know. with Kumbaya, we'll be good. You know, when I read the book, I was thinking to myself, your girls really, they suffered an incalculable loss. Yeah. I mean, it's it, devastating loss. But I also was reading, you guys went so many places. You, you were like, hit all the spots. You know, Glacier, Tetons, Yellowstone, Badlands. You did all the, but then you did little small towns and like you said family farms and you went off the beaten track and you you went whitewater rafting and kayaking and in hiking and you did incredible things i think that less than probably i think i'm being generous if i say five percent of kids that are 17 and 18 years old today Mm -hmm. have had the experiences your kids had your girls had what is their take on it now? Like, they're 17 and 18 in high school and one studying photography in New York City. Like, when they look back on it now, do they think, like, our mom is incredible? Well, I still call them my eyeball-rolling teenagers, so I'm not sure they realize. <laughs> that about five more years. You're almost out of the woods. <laughs> um, you know, I think that they... Their takeaway may not be that mom is incredible, but I think that their takeaway is, I can do it. Oh, good. Yeah. You know, if I have a top job interview, this I is nothing. This is, I got this. Yeah. You know, through the things that we did, all on a budget, I must say. Yeah. Because, so. you know, the other great thing about being in an RV is that you can go and to local farm stands and, you know, mm-hmm. really control what the you're budget. eating and your budget. It is one of the best things about RVing. You know, look, a resort costs this. If you can't afford it, you can't afford it. When you have an RV, you can choose a state park. You can boondock. You can, or you could go the other end. You can buy your own food or you can eat out. There's so many ways to control the budget. And guess what? It's the same beautiful Yellowstone whether you're paying 11 bucks a night on a state pass or you're camping at a resort campground outside of Yellowstone and coming in. We all get to see these same beautiful things in this country. Exactly. So, you know, you compromise for a couple of days and then you mm-hmm. splurge. Is that what you did? Oh, Is yeah. It, yeah. So what were like some of the splurges? Like, okay, enough of this Walmart parking lot thing. We need to just spend some money tonight and do something special. What What would an example of that be? Well, we didn't even really do that. We would um, splurge on, you know, taking a weekend horseback riding trip oh, cool. through um, the Tetons. Or, oh, wow. you know, sometimes it was yeah. really a splurge. So not just where not where you were camping at night, but mm-hmm. an event. And the events. An experience. So, you and, so spent your money on experiences. We spent our money on experiences. So, you know, getting the, the parks pass, mm-hmm. um, going to Carlsbad Canyons, you know, the entrance mm-hmm. fees. And we would mm-hmm. always pack our lunches. Mm-hmm. We barely ate out. Yeah. And I... Didn't it didn't cost that much? I love that because <laughs> I always want people to know there's just ways to do all that. You know, you can see all of those things, and, and you you just do it on a budget. Well, I am living proof that you can do it on a budget. <laughs> you know, I when. Oh, by the way, excuse me, I yeah. just paid Harvey off, too. Oh, my gosh. So we're going to have to have yeah. a birthday party well, for him. You know, what is that? Remember they used to do this, the mortgage burning parties, when yeah. your parents finally paid off the mortgage, right? And you would have, you know, remember when mortgages were 30 years and you had them paid off? Oh. And it was really around all the time your kids went to college and got married. So all the money was designated for something else. But Harvey's paid off. Good. It sounds like you got a lot of more years left in Harvey. Well, he's a Toyota, so He'll last forever. Yeah, yeah. I've got to ask you this because, you know, I, I love the book. And it was it really difficult to write it? Like, I know there were, must have been people after you to write the book. Did you have a desire to write the book? Or were you just, you know, finally succumbing to everybody's write a book, write a book? Well, I'm a journalist anyway. Mm-hmm. So as a crime reporter for the New York Daily News, I mean, a lot of that comes out in the book. Yeah. And the way that I look at things. Yeah. And, you know, what's in my head. And, yeah. You know, and that kind of snarky side. 
Um, and then as an editor for Women's World magazine, I've been there for 14 years. I've interviewed like 65,000 women. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it's a story that needed to be told, I think, to kind of help people appreciate what they have. I always yeah. tell my girls, said, you know what? We have two mottos in life. You have to be able to dine with the queen and pee in the woods. Mm-hmm. That's your number one yeah. thing. You have to be able to do both. You have to be able to do both and don't cry for what you want. Or don't have. Yeah, be happy for what you have. Don't cry for what you want. Yeah. And I know, you know, life is hard and we all have struggles and, you know, financial and marital and everything else that happens in the world. Yeah. But you don't want that phone call. Right. And that is my message. So let's talk about that for a minute because I read this book when I was in Colorado and my husband was at home and I I wanted so badly for him to be in Colorado with me because I just wanted to make him his favorite supper. (laughs) It just made me just stop and say, I'm blessed with his health and we're blessed as a family. And I I think I live with a degree of appreciation. I am that kind of person. The glass is half full anyway, but reading the book, my takeaway was, you know, work hard for what you have and really appreciate what you have. You're so glass is half full kind of person. And do you think your daughters adopted that? Absolutely. They're both great kids. I just sent my daughter an email the other day. I said, you know what's the best thing about being your mom is I never have to worry about you. Yeah. Isn't that great? It is great. So, But going back to your question about writing the book, everybody's like, you have to write this book. You have to write this book. And I said, I'm not writing a book. Mm -hmm. And then something happened, no spoilers, when we got home from our last trip where I sprinkled him in his boyhood home in the creek bed. In that the was so moving in the book, I got to tell you. That whole Kansas scene Oh yeah, got me right here in right. the heart. It was so full circle. I, I just want people to read the book. You have to go read it. But that was, yeah. you're welling up as we're saying that. I am uh, welling up. I welled up when I read that. That you kind of brought Mark home. I did, and he was home, and then mm-hmm. what happened... When I got back home, yeah, is what made me write the book. So tell what happened. You, so you were like finishing your sprinkling, and you came. You stopped in your husband's hometown and where he grew up, and his high school and his stomping grounds. It was so sweet reading it. Really, I I could get upset now thinking about it. It was so poignant. It was so beautifully written, and. You know, it was kind of that moment of, you know what, we're moving forward in life, leaving mm-hmm. dad here. Yep, he's, we're he's leaving ending, dad here. Ending where he started, and we're going back to New York, and we're moving on with life. Mm-hmm. And then you got home, and you were cleaning out your husband's, your shared file cabinet, and you found something in there. What did you find? Do we want to talk about it? I do. I think so. Okay. <laughs> I do because, you know, your book is laced with little, like, God moments. You know, you call them whatever you want. I'll call them a God moment. There were just these things that revealed themselves in in things that were always there, but kind of revealed themselves when they needed to be revealed. Well, yeah. So, you know, call it God or call it spirituality or call it coincidence mm-hmm. or call it anything that you want to. Mm-hmm. But what I found changed everything. Say what you found. Okay. Go ahead. I found, <laughs> I found these essays and these journals that he had written back in college when he had taken a motorcycle trip across the country, you know, from Kansas mm-hmm. out west. And I had always heard about it, but I never knew he wrote anything about it. Mm-hmm. And it was in the filing cabinet that we shared for 15 years. I never saw this folder. Mm-hmm. And I opened it up, and I literally was on the ground sobbing, hysterically sobbing and numb. And it just, it was mm-hmm. beyond. It was like somebody had shot me full of yeah. Novocaine, you know? Yeah. And I was reading about places that, we had been inexplicably drawn to. Yeah. And 
things. So Mark had kind of, you know, he was a writer, a journalist, but I think every journalist has that secret little um, poet in him and Mm -hmm. the person who wants to write that great all-American novel. And Mark had created a character when he was a single man in his 20s that was traveling around the country and coincidentally... He went to many of the places you went to when you were sprinkling his ashes and you felt drawn to leave those. But Mark created a fictional character in the book that is married and has two children and and dies unexpectedly. And in exactly the same way that Mark did. Of a massive heart attack. But down to the he even talked Details. about yes. He even talked about the amount of because Mark was vomiting blood when he passed the away. Whole, and there's so, so many like things. that whole. Oh, it's just goosebumpy. It's goosebumpy, and that's what made me write the book because everybody said, you know, my family and you know my mm-hmm. friends said, you've got to do this. You've got to write this book. You've got yeah. to write this book. I'm so glad you did. Oh, thank you. Yes. I'm so glad to I be am, with you. Well, because first of all, I always like to read about. Um, you know, all of these, you know, we live in this cosmic supernatural world. And if you're aware of it, you're likely to see these things. If you're unaware of it and you're just walking through life with getting stuff done, you're not going to see it. But sometimes it just it hits you in the face, you know. And mm-hmm. to see how everything had kind of been preordained and lined up and revealed to you when you needed to know it or when you needed the comfort or maybe in this case needed the impetus to get that book done this is all very true but beyond even that it's just the story of a woman and a man and their two kids and their house and their dog and Mm -hmm. just what yeah why did he write that so many years, this giant foreshadowing? I have no idea. Yeah. I That was really a very intriguing part of the book, too. You know, Laura, I have to ask you this because I, I want you, I just want to give you the mic to kind of just speak to women who are in your boat. I mean, you were incredibly young with still children to raise, but for the women who are out there, and this thing happened to them, and they're looking at the RVers, and they're looking, and they're trying to develop a life again, and they may be stuck. Can you speak to them? Yes. Do it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I was incredibly young. I was 46. I think that's young. Okay. Well, what you know, most women who write to me and they're widowed, they're in their 60s or yeah. early 70s. So 46 okay. with kids in grade school. Okay. I say do it. The older we get, the younger, young. You know, That's like true. Young, all of a sudden. That is so true. You know, just just do it. Don't be afraid of anything. And if you are afraid of it, that means you have to do it more. So what was your big fear that you overcame? Oh, my gosh. I've got an entire list of fears. Well, I, can I know that you were particularly afraid of heights. Very much so. And you really addressed that in your RV trip. You put yourself in situations where you did things that were high, (laughs) like high mountains, high hiking, high trams. You put yourself at heights on purpose. Yes. Did you do that to model that to your daughters? Like your daughters knew you were afraid of heights. My daughters know how afraid I used to be of heights, but Mm -hmm. I'm not anymore Mm -hmm. because... We had, you know, like rope rope climbing guides, mm-hmm. and we were twelve hundred feet up in the air. That's as high as the Sears so Tower. And I looked down, and I wanted to die. Yeah, but I had to do it because in order for me to survive as a mom and a dad, my friends call me Mr. Laura. Mm-hmm. I needed to be able to be both of those people. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are dads who are afraid of heights, but I couldn't be one. While you're processing grief, <laughs> while you're keeping a roof over their head, while you're being a homeowner, while you're navigating, you know, the plumber, and, you know, you had to wear every hat. Widows do. Mm-hmm. It's different than being a single mom, unless they have extenuating circumstances. Right. Not one is worse or Yeah, you, you don't get to other. pass them for the weekend and say, I'm going with my girlfriends. You were full-time all the time. 
Right, which is bad for the kids. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you can't, what does Stuart Smalley say? You can't compare and despair. No one's got it better or worse, but mm-hmm. it just is whatever your reality is. You know, and I'm glad you said that because one of the other takeaways I had in this book is you don't feel sorry for yourself. I can't. Mm-hmm. If I felt sorry for myself, I would not be sitting here. Right. I'd be on the couch watching Oprah eating bonbons yeah. <laughs> on this gorgeous day. Right. It is a gorgeous day. So, Laura, where where can people buy your book? Everywhere. It is everywhere. It's everywhere. I love seeing it. It's at Barnes & Noble. It's at Costco. It's on Amazon. Yes. And, and it's number one in so many places. It's Right, and Penguin Random House just did a big review on it. Oh, my God. They're my distributor. I was just, I called my mom. I said, Mom, you're not going to believe it. Yeah. You know, because That's so exciting. When you're writing a book and when you're widowed and you've been through all of this stuff and, you know, you take off in in an RV for 32,000 miles, people kind of look at you. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, sure, Laura. Like somebody, let's all take a boat and draw straws. Who's going to sit Laura down and talk to her? <laughs> right. Who wants to be the one? So Exactly. Yeah. So to have the book in hand right here. Hold it. Yeah, that in book. Hand, you wrote it. And to have succeeded so much mm-hmm. in writing it when people don't want to see, they think you're hurt or, oh, she's in pain or, oh, she's still grieving and, oh, she really thinks she's going to write a book. Hello. I, I like that you waited a few years to write the book because you have perspective. You're yes. not freshly um, out of the grief. You are writing this book from a vantage point of a person who did it. Like you got through the worst of what got thrown your way and you're still thriving and surviving and moving forward. And, and now your book is hope for so many other people. And I think if it was written too close, where like people would read it and go, well, check in in five years. Right. So I the point of the book, like you said, it's not a misery memoir. Yeah, it's, it's not. A, it's a motivational memoir. It is. Yes. I felt motivated. <laughs> but I, and this is important too, like... I don't. I didn't feel motivated to survive widowhood. What I felt motivated by was whatever, whatever the monkey wrench that came your way. You know, I mean, there's a lot of illness happening in my extended family right now, and no, I mean, everybody's got stuff, right? But I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be defined by it. I'm, I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to curl up in a corner and cry because things aren't going. You know, like I took away from your book. If you can survive this, which I think is worst case scenario for so many women, especially when you still have little kids at home, and then write a book about it. I just feel this way about kind of an analogy to RVing. Like there are people who want to get out there and go RVing and they're afraid of so many things. Now, you just jumped into the deep end of the pool and did it. (laughs) Yes. But, But maybe you were able to do that because you were already thrown into the deep end of a deeper, uglier, darker pool. So this one didn't seem so bad. But you know what? It really wasn't that bad anyway. No. My 18-year-old daughter is now driving Harvey. Yeah. And she's good at it. And she knows where everything is. She's like, no, Mom, this is how you turn on the air conditioner. And, you know, the the plumbing got stuck the other day. She's down there with the wrench, and she's She's figuring it it out. She knows how to jump her cable to battery. Like, she knows where the oil is. Yeah. And I think that's so empowering for moms. Our, Our daughter came home late one night, and I said, oh, my gosh, I was so worried about you. And she said, oh, my car was dead, and I had to stop somebody and ask them if they could pull up. And she had jumper cables in the, her back car that she bought herself and she jumped the car herself Good. and came up. She didn't even call us to say, you know, she said, well, I didn't call you because it, it only took five minutes. You know, like I was so proud of her. Good. But, so you're modeling that for your daughters. But the other thing is I feel that once people do a big accomplishment like this, what else can you do? Like you did that and now you wrote a book and I, I think there's like huge things out there in front of you. I can't wait to see the movie and I want Tom Hanks to be Mark. You do? <laughs> I do. I'm voting for Tom Hanks. Okay. I want him to be Mark in the movie. I, are there people trying to option your book? 
Well, I can't. You don't have to that. say. You don't have to say who. Just say yes or no. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Could you, uh, if I give you a girl camper coffee mug, can you work it into a scene? <laughs> I should have brought you a pink steering wheel cover. Oh, I will get one. I, I always, will absolutely get one. Well, I always joke that that was our spiritual guide. Yeah. You know, because we're, I'm not great at reading maps. Mm-hmm. And that was another thing that the girls learned how to do is they can read maps. Yeah. You know, I'd send them into Costco with a grocery list and mm-hmm. they would come out. With food and what's on it. Yeah. With exactly what you know. They yeah. know how to cook. They know how to change tires. Life skills. They have life skills. They have life skills. And that was so important. Well, I want everybody to buy the book. And we're going to give a book away. There's going to be an autographed copy. And we said in the beginning how you can get that. I want people to go on to your Laura Farenthold author on Facebook. You're on Facebook. You're on the Pink Steering Wheel Chronicles on Instagram. Yes. Um, You're doing book signings all over the East Coast right now. Costco just signed me. Okay. To do author signings. I'm so excited. That's so exciting. So it is. I I'm gonna post them on the Girl Camper Podcast Facebook page, but I want everybody to know where to find you and I want everybody to read the book because it is we just talked about some of the big points, but there were so many like moments in the book and you need to just be able to read those moments to talk about the, the little stories that happened along the way. Exactly. Yeah, I want I want people to read the all the little details. What else can you tell us before we sign off here? Um, I have no idea. I mean, I think my last name is really confusing. <laughs> Ferenthald. Right. So the Pink Steamroll Chronicles is... That's what you have to remember. Yeah. Laura. So. Yeah. Laura, thank you for coming down to Girl Camper Headquarters today and for hanging out in the She Shed with me. It's just been so great meeting you in person because we've been talking for months and now you're here at my house and I feel like I'm a celebrity here. I feel like I'm in a celebrity's company with you. So we're a mutual admiration society. Uh, Well, we got each other, right? Yeah, we got each other. Oh, well, thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to following your success and I cannot wait to be at the movie premiere. Well, you can walk down the green carpet with me, lady. I can't wait. I can't wait. Okay. All right. Thank you for coming Thank on. You. Happy trails. Thank you. You too. Well, that's our show for today. I'd like to thank my guest, Laura Farenthold, for coming to Girl Camper Headquarters with her lovely publicist, Elizabeth. I think Laura is so brave. I think she's a survivor and a lover of life with an incredible spirit and will, and I loved her book so much. We have some copies to give away, so jump on over to each of our Instagram accounts and play along, or just swipe and order it from Amazon. You'll have it the day after tomorrow, and then you can start reading it. I am certain we have not heard the last from our friend Laura. She's got places to go and things to do, and I am looking forward to seeing what she does next. So drop us a note and tell us how much you love the book. I really loved it. And thank you to our sponsors, Campco, Liberty Outdoors, and our consortium of Girl Camper Friendly Dealerships. Tom's Camperland with three locations in the greater Phoenix area. Bankston Motorhomes with three locations in Alabama and two in Tennessee. Setzer's World of Camping in Huntington, West Virginia. And General RV with 12 locations all over the East Coast and in Utah and Florida. I'd also like to thank my producer, Stephanie Puglisi, for putting this show together. That's a wrap for this week, everybody. Get out there, go places, do things. Happy trails!